Welcome back for episode 10 of Self-Signed Artist. We are in the double digits now. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Finally getting going. Today, we're talking about something that I'm excited about because it's something that I've wanted to talk about for a little while, but I don't know. It didn't really seem like the right time with all this quarantine, global pandemic stuff going on, but things are looking up a little bit, at least in my area. So I think it's finally time that we can touch on this a little bit and start getting you prepared for when things open back up. So specifically, we're going to be talking about how to set yourself up to put on an engaging show that will convert the audience into fans. So that's the topic of the day. And by the end, you'll have clear steps that you can take to supercharge your rehearsal routine so that every performance will be one to remember. You're listening to Self-Signed Artist, the podcast that helps independent musicians run their brand like a business. Now, your hosts, Kobe Nelson and Jake Mannix. How's it going, everybody? I'm Kobe Nelson, and I'm joined today, like always, by Jake Mannix. How's it going? Good. How are you, dude? I'm doing all right. Have you had anything going on this week? Nothing crazy. Just some mixes here and there. I'm, I'm starting to take back clients slowly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> cautiously, yeah, right? Cautiously, yeah. cautiously. That's it. How's your week going? It's the same for me. I'm not taking clients. I Since I'm mixing, it's mostly remote, but I'm also cautiously optimistic about where things are going, at least around me and around you. So in, in our kind of area of the country, things are starting to kind of open up, loosen up a little bit on the rules where we can have gatherings of 10 people or things like that. I know in other parts of the country, that's not necessarily the case mm -hmm. and things are still going pretty crazy, but around me, it's, it's looking up a little bit. So since this has started to happen, this got me thinking about live shows again and it's something that we haven't really been able to think about for a little while. I don't know if live shows are going to be back to normal anytime soon, but I think it's a good time to start thinking about how you can make your shows better. You still have time to prepare and rehearse and nail down your performance so that you can kind of kick it into high gear and convert more fans when shows really do come back. So Jake, you've played a lot of shows, done a lot of shows, been to a lot of shows. I kind of want to go through some of the most common mistakes that I've seen artists make at shows, problems with their performances, and then we can kind of go through what makes a show really engaging for a fan or an audience member, and then after that, we'll kind of go through how you can go about achieving those things. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan to me, man. All right, so for me, from shows that I've been to, most of the issues probably stem from some level of stage fright. If you're a performer out there, you're familiar with this, unless you're some, I don't know, freak of nature where you don't have any anxiety about standing in front of a big crowd and performing. If, you, if that's you, congratulations. That's not me, and I think that's not most people. <laughs> so a lot of the problems that we're going to talk about stem from that. 
One of the big ones, obviously, is movement on stage. And that can come in two forms, either no movement or really awkward movement. And I think this comes back to one of the things we mentioned, what was it, two episodes ago? A few episodes ago about metal bands and headbanging and the tea kettle. The tea kettle, yep. Yeah, that type of thing is one of the things that we're going to talk about, how to get around that and and make your movement a little bit more natural. Jake, what are some of the other things that you've noticed that are either awkward in shows or or just lead to something that's not a super engaging performance? I would say not interacting with the audience is a major one. Like, and And it's not even saying just you have to talk to the audience, you have to take breaks in between songs, and we're going to get to that later. But interacting with the audience in a way where you're making them feel like they're part of the show. Right. If you're doing a live performance, you're in the same room as the audience. And sometimes, at least the feeling that I get sometimes at performances is like it's a a TV performance or something like that. It's (laughs) almost like you're in a different room because there's no interaction there between the performer and the audience members. Yeah. So that's a huge one. I think something kind of along the same lines as that is that if you're in a band, not interacting with bandmates. I think that's something that's kind of overlooked sometimes because you're oftentimes so focused on the audience, especially if there's some anxiety there about performance. They kind of forget that you're on stage with other people. (laughs) And that's part of what makes a performance engaging, I think. If you look like you're having fun, if you're playing off of each other, that's going to be a, a good thing for the the performance overall. So not interacting with bandmates is another thing. One thing that I also find is an issue is when a performer doesn't tell the audience what you want them to do. And there are a couple things that I'm talking about when I when I say this, not telling the audience what you want them to do. There are the show-based things like the interaction-based things that you can tell them you want them to do. You want them to cheer at this point or or whatever, you know, those types of little bits that you can throw into your show. But there's also the sort of call-to-action thing. So call-to-action is a term that we're going to bring back in multiple episodes about different topics. But this is a really important thing for shows, I think. So not telling your audience to follow you on social media or to come say hi at the merch table and have a conversation with you or whatever it is, whatever you actually want the audience to do at your show. Not telling them to do that, I think, is a mistake uh, and a missed opportunity. Regarding that, yeah, one thing that I absolute, absolutely hate, and it literally makes me laugh out loud whenever it happens at a show, is when the band is playing and the singer thinks it's a good time to tell the audience about something or to tell the audience to do something when you can't understand what they're saying. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Everybody is You know what I mean? Like you can't understand them. And it's like, oh man, this is bad. You should have waited until like you should have made a time to do it, planned it out. But man, that's, that's just the worst. So if you're a band performing live, make sure the band isn't playing when you're trying to tell the audience something important. And if you're a band member, don't be the band member that keeps playing (laughs) during this time because no one wants to hear it. Yes, I (laughs) totally agree. That's a huge mistake. And and that's something that we're going to come back to when we talk about 
the strategies that you can use to create this engaging show performance later on in the episode. We're going to come back to that and planning all of that stuff out because that's super, super important. One other thing is just going through the motions. I see a lot of performances where maybe it looks like the band ha- has practiced. They've obviously gotten together and and played together and stuff like that. But it just seems super, super robotic and just like they're not actually there engaged in what they're doing. They're just kind of doing stuff mm-hmm. on stage. And that's a really tricky thing to navigate. So that's another thing that we're going to come back to in a little bit. And along these same lines, like if I, if I think back to shows that I've been to, there's one particular show actually that stands out in my mind where I saw a lot of these mistakes kind of play out. And this was... Is that one of mine? <laughs> no, it was, not, it was not. It was This is a show I went to a while ago that was a bunch of metal bands. So there's one particular band that was headlining that I wanted to go see. But there were, I think, four other bands that played before the headliner in addition to the, the headliner band. So five bands total. And I would say out of all of them, I mean, the fact that there were these mistakes makes it Kind of hard to remember which bands were which, even in my mind. But if I remember back to it, I think three out of the five bands spent more time during their performance facing away from the audience than facing the audience. And this really, really stuck out to me. And like I said, it made it so I, I, I can't even remember much about each band because it was just distracting that anytime something was going on, Everybody, except for the drummer, who was sitting (laughs) and couldn't move, everybody else in the band was facing away. I know there was one band that had six people in it, and (laughs) there was one point where all of them, singer included, while singing... Drummer included? No, no. (laughs) So, yeah, not everybody. (laughs) But everybody else... Drummer included. ...facing away from the audience. And it just, I mean took me completely out of the experience of being at a show and made me kind of just lose track of what was going on. I felt like I was sitting in on band practice more than at a show, at a performance. So all of this leads to no conversion from audience member to fan. So keep in mind, these are bands that I didn't know and still didn't know them by the end of this performance. That's a huge missed opportunity. I mean, really, what's the point of playing a show, especially as an opener, if you're not there to convert audience members into fans of your band? That's why you're opening for this headliner. You're trying to tap into that same audience that the headliner band has. So if you're not converting because you're not putting on an engaging performance, you're really, really missing out there. So ultimately, I think the issues with most artist shows come from confusion about how to rehearse. And this is going to be one of our main points that we come back to in a second. But before we do that, first, I want to talk about the elements of an engaging show. And some of these are are things that you might be able to infer from the mistakes that we were talking about. But I want to go a little bit more into detail about each and what I would look for in a performance that was really engaging as an audience member. So the most obvious one, the one that we talked about, is audience interaction. So 
the audience is at a show to participate, not just observe what's going on in the stage. As a performer, you kind of have to keep that in mind. Yes, you're performing. Yes, you're putting on a show. You're there to be watched by the audience, but they're also there for an experience. They're looking to be a part of this whole experience. So this can look like a lot of things, and it's really open for your creativity. And some of the standard ways that people go about doing this are to, you know, get people clapping on the beat, uh, call and response typed prompts where you ask the audience to whatever, scream at a certain point or something like that, or, or other questions with a cheer response. You could get up close and high five people in the audience in the front row, things like that. Or even letting a front row fan sing a line. You see that a lot where uh, a singer will like point a microphone into a fan's face. One of the uh, shows that I went to that I had the most fun at is a show that that happened to me because I don't know, it's kind of a stupid little thing and it's it always sounds terrible even yeah, yeah like <laughs> but it's a, a fun engaging thing that's bringing the audience into the performance have you ever had an experience like that or seen something like that happen dude so i've i've given the mic to people a few times i've probably only gotten the mic at local shows but i've personally given the mic out a few times and there's one time where my boy <laughs> my friend my brother will probably be in my wedding one day if it wouldn't if it weren't for this. <laughs> Brandon Kapoor. Calling you out. Calling him out. <laughs> Calling him out. Last summer I played a show and he played it too at the Night Owl in Saratoga. And I wrote this song like a month or two prior at his house. And he knew the lyrics and I saw him singing them. And then the next part <laughs> came up and I was like clearly out of breath. And so I put the mic up to him and he just Stonewalled me, dude. Oh, man. It's all good, though. He, he genuinely didn't know the lyrics, but wow. I, it's funny that we're on this topic because I was just, you know how people say, oh, you know, I lay in bed and think about things that no one remembers 10 years ago. I thought about this in bed, how awkward it was for me to know that everyone just saw that. Everyone just saw <laughs> My boy not know the lyrics, dude. That's the risk you take, I guess, if you're yeah. going to use that as a, an audience interaction strategy. Jeez. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, it can be a, uh, a really fun experience for somebody in the audience, assuming that they know the lyrics to the song. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't trust your friends with that stuff, dude. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, ne next, aside from audience interaction, we were talking about band interaction if you're in a band or if there's anybody else on stage performing with you, you've got to play off of each other. A lot of the times members of a band will joke around with one another, have little, I don't know, moments where, I, I don't know, I've seen bands do stupid little things where like all of a sudden they're like in synchronized movements, like really corny, Love like synchronized that. movements, but it's clearly a joke. Like that type of thing, just look like your friends. I mean, if you're in a band, hopefully you are friends. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe you're not. There definitely are bands that have some issues between band members, but you got to remember here, even if that's the case, you're performing. You have to look like you're having fun with mm -hmm. one another and that you like each other. So I think that's a really important part 
of a performance that helps draw people in and lets them connect to you. One more thing, and this is something, Jake, that you mentioned, which I think is what uh, some bands are trying to do when they make the mistake that you talked about, where they're talking, trying to give the audience important information, and somebody else is playing Mm-hmm. in the background making it so that the audience can't understand what you're actually trying to tell them and this is no downtime so this is kind of a common thing that people think about but there are some good ways to go about it and some not so great ways to go about it so i do think that no downtime in a performance is important you don't want to let the energy come down too too much between songs so between songs if you have dead space where whatever the the vocalist doesn't have anything to say nobody's playing anything the guitarists all turn around and they're they're tuning or something like that that's a a point where the audience can kind of fall out of the moment you know what i mean Mm -hmm. would you agree with that yes it's important to not have downtime in a way where it's like everyone's tuning up their instruments everyone's getting a little sip but Maybe if if you have the guitarist or key player, or if you're uh, a backtrack based artist, you could have something lined up to go between songs, something ambient or, you know, nothing too crazy. I totally agree with you. I think that the goal with having no downtime between songs is really to make it so that there's no opportunity for an audience member to go get a drink or to duck out to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Like while you're performing, you want to keep the audience with you, engaged. And if there if there's a point where everybody's tuning and nothing's going on on stage, that's the point where people are going to be like, okay, I, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. Nothing's <laughs> really going on right now. Like, I'll duck out for a second. And one of the ways that you can do that is through talking with the audience, like we've mentioned. You do that with stories or some of the fan interaction techniques that we talked about before or something creative that you come up with. Some, like you mentioned, ambient background music going on that doesn't interfere with the talking. But I do think you have to have some element of the music continue if possible. This is one thing that has kind of bugged me about some shows where the energy stops when the music stops. So like everybody will stop playing the singer will be talking to the audience, but that just energy level of the room comes down. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's, I guess there's a fine line that you have to walk there and and not play something so crazy that you can't understand the singer. But I do think it's kind of important to have some musical element continue if possible. But while you're doing this, I mean, what, what are the types of things, Jake, that you do that you say to an audience between songs? Like, you're trying to let them know more about you or give context to a song. Like what do you, what kind of things do you usually reach for? I reach for What's up guys. How we feeling? That's it. How we feel. <laughs> and then maybe mid, yeah, yeah. Maybe mid set. I'll, I'll give a shout out to like, if my friends are on the bill or whatever. Yeah. yeah I'm, that's I'm good. not, I'm not great at it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a hard thing to do. And it's something I think takes planning, which we're going to talk about. I mean, there are other things that you can do. I've seen some people use honesty really, really well as a talking point between songs. Like if you're at a, if you're at a show and this is the biggest crowd you've ever played to, you can kind of have an an honest moment and tell your audience that talk about how like, this is the biggest performance you've ever done. You're really excited to be there. Like all that type of stuff, having that moment where you're 
making some sort of connection with the audience, I think is kind of the point there. And then of course, there are all the things like you mentioned that you can kind of get people hyped up, get people ready for the energy to come back up for the next song or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So you're setting yourself up for the next song and telling them what you want to do or what you want them to do. This is something that you see. I talk about metal all the time because (laughs) those are the shows that I've been to the most, like rock shows and stuff like that. But I think this kind of goes with anything. You see this at metal shows all the time where a band will tell the audience to, you know, form a a wall or a circle pit (laughs) or whatever it is. You know, they're telling them what they want them to do so that when that next song comes in, things go crazy and it's exciting. Or at EDM shows... They're telling people to jump, go crazy, whatever. They're 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 telling them what they want them to do when the next song starts. So I think that's another good technique that you can use. Then we come to what I think is the most important element of an engaging show. This kind of goes along with a lot of the other things that we've talked about. But even if you do nothing else that we've talked about so far... This is the one thing that you want to do. And that is to look like you're having the best time of your entire life on stage. I think that really trumps everything else. Just because your energy as the performer is contagious. The energy that you have is going to dictate the energy that the audience gives back to you. This is especially important, I think, when there's... A dead audience, actually. Have you ever had that sort sort of experience, Jake? Have you ever had an experience where you projected a bunch of energy and nothing was given back to you? Yeah, and there's there's been a couple times where. So one time, I it was like one of my first shows as MNNX or Manix or whatever. I'm I don't know what I call it. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like one of my first shows and. There were like a few people there. And then there was one girl like that was clearly just not having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) And like, so the song stopped and I said, I said something and she got really pissed, but it was nothing mean. It was just like, hey, like, I know you're not having a good time. Like, I'm sorry, you're not. (laughs) And then there's, there's another time that sticks out where a client of mine we we did a show in I don't know some college town at a college. It was a hip hop show, and it was seated in an auditorium mm. with no <laughs> no like concert lighting. It was like you go to your school assembly type beat, you know. <laughs> um, and that was that was odd. That was odd because there were like a few girls in the front, you know, in their seats. They were dancing and stuff, but. Man, like there was just no, no energy in the room. See, that's the tricky part about this. But I think that's a really important thing to think about because no matter who you are, whether you're the biggest artist in the world or the smallest artist in the world, you're going to perform for an audience that doesn't give the energy back to you the way that you want them to. Mm -hmm. Like that just happens. The key there, though, is that you have to always be the one that carries the energy because the audience feeds off of you. It can't be the other way around. You can't feed your energy off of the audience because then if it's a dead audience, you're not going to give a performance. And if you don't give it an engaging performance, nobody's going to go home talking about you. And really, that's what you want from a show. You want people to go home talking about you. Yeah. So I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind that you have to be the one to provide the energy. And if nobody gives it back to you, 
nobody gives it back to you, but you did your part in that. And and I think even if nobody gives it back to you, sometimes they'll still go home having gotten something out of the show and and remembering you for it. So that's just a tip that I think you need to take with you to all of the shows that you put on. Oh, here's Jake with another mid-roll ad again. Yep, what's it going to tell us to do? Go rate and review the podcast on whatever streaming platform we may be listening on? No. But go do that. All of this is great to know, all of these elements of an engaging show. But if you've ever played a show and you're like me and you aren't a naturally gifted extrovert or performer, then you know all of this is way easier said than done. And I mean, this is part of the reason that I ended up not playing in bands after a while. I used to play in bands when I was much younger, high school days and stuff like that. But I got out of it because I I wasn't in love with the performance side of it. That's how I got more into studio stuff. But if you if you want to get better at this and put on better performances, then you need some way to go about learning these skills. And this is where the confusion between practice and rehearsing comes in. So I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, And I want to kind of break down those two things and talk about what each of them is and why they're different and then why you really, really need to do both. So I don't know if this is something that you've ever thought about for yourself, Jake, or if you kind of just like bundle them both together. But I think practice is what most artists or bands do all the time, and then they skip rehearsal. So when a band or an artist is practicing, they're going to gather if they're a band or they're just going to go to whatever their practice space is and they run through their songs. So they put together a set list, they play a song, maybe they screw something up, they play the song again, they go to the next song, they kind of hammer through all of their music and try and get it down. So really the focus is on playing or singing the song well, tightly. They're making sure everybody can play together and get the song down, the actual technical part of playing it. Of course, this is an essential step. You have to be able to play your songs, obviously. But most people, I think, stop there, which is a huge mistake. So when you actually get to your shows, you can play everything flawlessly, but you can't put on a show. Does that make sense to you, Jake? Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, yeah. I think it especially reigns true for people that aren't necessarily inclined off the bat to put on an entertaining show. Like Kobe Nelson. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the rehearsal part of it is the subtly different, but super, super important and often overlooked next step. Rehearsal is running through your performance. So you've practiced, you've got all your parts down, everybody's playing in time, singing in tune, everything's tight. But now you're actually working on the show element. This kind of comes back to a lot of the things that we were talking about early on. You're figuring out all of the things that we mentioned earlier. What are you going to say between songs? How are you going to transition from song to song? Is somebody going to be playing in the background while the singer's talking? 
And if they are, can anybody in the audience understand what the singer's saying? This might be when you figure out when you need to tell a story or when the, the front man or woman needs to tell a story. When people need to tune between songs, when people need to switch out their instruments, all of this type of stuff is hashed out in the rehearsal phase. And then on top of that, so those are kind of the logistics things, but then on top of that, you're figuring out how are you going to move? What types of movements are you going to do? Are you going to jump off the drum kit at this point in the song? Uh, When are you going to joke around with your bandmates? Or what lines do you want the fans to sing? When are you going to point the mic at a fan? All of that stuff that we talked about is mapped out in rehearsal, which comes after practice. One of the reasons I think artists and especially bands overlook this step is because it's awkward to do in a practice, (laughs) in a rehearsal, not in front of an audience. Would you agree with that? Like, this is not a fun thing to necessarily do by yourself. No, it's not. But if I might add, when we were in New York City rehearsing for that event we did in August of last year, we got to work with someone that like taught us how to to practice and rehearse properly and like pick out the flaws and everything like that. And another thing I did when we were doing rehearsals is he would bring people in to sit. So we had this big room and there on one of the walls, there was a big mirror. There was a slightly elevated stage with a drum kit and, you know, amps and stuff on it. And that's where all of us were. And then there were chairs lined up in front of the mirror and he would bring people in, sometimes girls, to mess with us and make us feel like uncomfortable. <laughs> um, Smart. Yeah, yeah. And make us talk to him and, you know, whoever he brought with him. And that definitely helps rather than just, I mean, if you don't have access to to something like a mirror, uh, even like a, I don't know what else, but like it was better that way than just talking into the air to no one, you know? Oh, Yeah. I think that's huge. I, I would say if even if you're rehearsing, if you have a friend that's down and just wants to hang out, have them sit in the room, bring a couple friends in, have them pick out your mistakes, what they didn't like, whatever. But having people there while rehearsing definitely helps if they're not being distracting. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that what most people do in rehearsal is pretty tough. You're pretending to perform for an audience that isn't there. Uh, and if you're... In a band, your bandmates are going to see all the awkward bits as you're trying to figure out how to put on your best performance. So either way, I think it's awkward. Like like you said, I think that's a really good strategy, what you guys did. But that's still awkward. You're you're performing in front of people. They're going to see your awkwardness and your mistakes and as you're trying to sort all of these things out. But if you don't work on these things specifically you really can't expect them to magically show up at showtime. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to get in front of an audience. You're going to get that adrenaline rush. Maybe you'll be able to do some things that you wouldn't do normally during your practice time, but you're not going to be a magically amazing, engaging performer at your show if you haven't done some of this beforehand and actually gone through and and tried to rehearse a, a performance. I would compare this to a sports team, really, like a football team. They're going to go to a practice. The quarterback is going to throw a ton of passes. The receivers are going to, you know, run out and catch 
the ball. <laughs> the <laughs> linemen are going to push really heavy stuff. Like those are all the things that you're going to do. I'm I'm really showing my lack of sports <laughs> knowledge here. I'm not a sports guy, except for maybe running. <laughs> if you count that as a sport, but yeah, you'll, you get the analogy. They're going to go and they're going to do all these things at practice, but what if they stopped there? They each practice their individual part. Mm. They can do that with their eyes closed and their hands tied behind their backs. But if they never actually like got together as a team and played a scrimmage, nobody's actually going to know how to play football. They would get to a game and everybody would be able to physically do their individual part, but they're not going to know how to play football. So this is the rehearsal part of this whole process. You're figuring out how to put on your show, how to play football. I think, Jake, the things that you laid out before about your rehearsal in New York are great. That's Those are some really, really great tips. So how can you as a listener out there Go about doing that, supercharging your rehearsal time to get your performance locked in. First, I think it's really important, at least at the beginning, to have an outline for the whole show or even a script if you really have trouble with that, something that you can actually go through and rehearse. Like when you guys were rehearsing, is that something you had? Like what was going to go between each song, what, who was going to say what and stuff like that. Yeah. So there were, there were like little things like that. Like my friend Tom would play keys at a certain part or, you know, this person's going to grab the chair for him to sit on, or this is what you got to say, or this is how you got to introduce the song, stuff like that. Yeah. So I, th- I think you just need more, you need more than a set list. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a script. I don't know. For me, sometimes I have a hard time talking off the cuff. So at least in the start of a rehearsal process, I would probably need to have some sort of pretty laid out description of what was going to happen just because that's what works for me. Uh, A detailed outline works better than a general outline. So like even for these episodes, if I'm being totally honest, like I feel more comfortable and confident when I have a detailed plan rather than just you know, eight bullet points on a page and the rest of it off the cuff. Like I actually have a bullet point in my little outline here (laughs) that I want to say this exactly. So it just goes to show it's the same thing for a show. Sometimes you need that outline to get all of these things in and make sure you don't forget anything. So this is also a good way to kind of get down the logistics of a show because there's lots of little things that need to happen And this point is kind of the bridge between practice and rehearsal, I think. You need to think about, can you change your guitar out fast enough between songs where there's not going to be a pause waiting for you to get your new guitar? Or do you have enough time to tune between songs? Is the story that the singer's telling too long? Does it make it so that everybody's kind of just waiting around for him, him or her to finish up so that they can get to the next song. Those are the types of things that you kind of have to iron out. And then next we get into full rehearsal mode. And this is really the point where you're you're trying to figure out how to interact with your quote unquote audience in rehearsal. Maybe that's nobody, <laughs> or maybe that's the people that your, your guy, your producer, I don't know what you would call that person who was helping out with his shows, the people that uh, somebody brought in to make you feel awkward while you're rehearsing (laughs) or something like that. When you're doing this, yes, you will look dumb 
and people are going to see it. Your bandmates are going to see it if you're in a band, but I think it's so, so worth it to just go through these motions just so you're not doing it for the first time on stage and so that you don't have to play a million shows to get this down. Yes, if you play a million shows, you're going to get better at this, but you can kind of iron that stuff out beforehand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when you're doing this, you need to talk as if people are actually there. React as if people are there, as if people are actually cheering. Doing that in rehearsal is going to make it feel that much more natural when it's time for the real thing. And and here's a pro tip, and this is something that you mentioned, Jake, that you guys did, uh, that I think is like the one of the most important things for making a rehearsal space productive, and that's get a big mirror in your rehearsal space. If there's nobody there to watch you and you can't see yourself, there's no way to tell if what you're doing is engaging mm-hmm. and looks like a show. So watch yourself play your set in the mirror. Interact with yourself in the mirror. Like it's the, what would you want to see as a performer? Do that and make sure that you're seeing that in the mirror. So you just have to picture it from a fan's perspective. Did you find that to be a helpful thing, Jake, having the mirror? Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I don't think I would do a rehearsal again without it without one. Did you find it to be a confidence booster or to make it more awkward where you like could see yourself and then you pulled back and had to like loosen up and, and get into using the mirror. Yeah. It, it was like, it obviously shows you what you're doing wrong, but it, it's, it's like, cause I was playing bass for this performance, you know, and when I'm playing bass, I have my, my stance that I do not stance, but like the way I stand and the way I play and the way I kind of move and do my thing. But then when I see it in the mirror, it doesn't look how I think it looks in my head. I got to straighten out my back a little bit. I got to spread my legs apart a little bit. I got to turn this way. I got to look up a little bit. I got to smile. You know what I mean? Like all those little things that you don't necessarily think about because you're just trying to play along. You know what I mean? Right. There's so many little things that go into that performance. So yeah, when you're dancing or headbanging or jumping off the drum kit, it might not look as cool as it did in your mind. You might be rehearsing something that feels really good in the moment while you're rehearsing, but you can't actually see it. Mm -hmm. So then you don't know if it actually works. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, the tea kettle. Yeah, the tea kettle. (laughs) Uh, Always come back to the tea kettle, yeah. So another way you can do this is that you can record yourself rehearsing as well. And if you really don't have access to a space with a mirror or you can't get a mirror for your rehearsal space, I guess this is the next best thing. But I think it's really much better and more productive for you to have a mirror because you get that instant feedback in the moment. You know what I mean? Like you can see something as you're doing it and adjust rather than play through your whole set and then watch the tape back. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of lose that like mind body connection the next time. It might take you more rehearsals to get something down, to hone it in rather than if you can just see it in the mirror, you can see it looks dumb. You can see it's not quite how you pictured it. You can adjust. Even if you just got a few mirrors from like Walmart, dude, dollar store definitely sells mirrors. True. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a huge mirror. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. Having the wall size mirror was game changing. But if I had to do like if I if I didn't have access to those rehearsal spaces and then the people I was working with and all that, which I won't unless I'm down there again, then I would just buy a mirror for here. You know what I mean? Or a few of them and just stand them up in front of the members that are kind of doing their thing. If I didn't have 
the money or the access or whatever to get a huge mirror. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that is one of the benefits to using a, an actual dedicated rehearsal space. Like you can you can go out and get a rehearsal space that's specifically built and designed for rehearsing performances like this. And all the good ones are going to have something like that, mm. a mirror in there so that you can you can see yourself because that's an important thing. But you don't have to have the rehearsal space. You can you can do that. You can figure something out, whether that's a couple small mirrors in your basement rehearsal space, if that's where you're working, or put up a phone and and record. That's the next best thing. But either way, I think we've gotten this point across. You want to be able to see what you're yeah. doing. And that's super important. Um, and then the last kind of thing that I think is important is that you want to remember that your rehearsal space is not exactly the same as your performance space. So you want to do everything that you can, I think, to lay out your rehearsal space like a stage. And obviously all the stages are going to be different depending on where you're performing, but you can do your best to lay it out in kind of a, a standard layout. Uh, I mean, lots of bands, even if they're practicing in or rehearsing in rehearsal spaces, they they don't really do this. They kind of set up in a circle or if they're rehearsing in a basement, they're setting up where they're all kind of like looking at each other. And I think that's a big mistake and can lead to some of those issues that I mentioned early on where like the whole band is facing away from the audience. Because if you rehearse in that way, it's going to feel weird to switch to facing an audience at a show. You're going to have your back to the people that you normally are facing. And I I really think that's one of the things that led to those three metal bands that just faced the drums the whole time. In their rehearsals, everybody's facing the drummer. Either they're all looking for the beat or actually in that case, the, the guitarists all had their pedal boards back by their amps. So they were all turning around to switch tones and stuff like that. If you just laid out your rehearsal space like a stage, you'd know to have your pedal boards up near the front of the stage so that you can access those while still engaging with your audience. So that's just one more thing that's worth thinking about. So these are all things. Everything that we've mentioned so far is something that if you don't do it in rehearsal, you can't expect yourself to do it live. Live shows are a stressful thing. Take this from me. I stopped doing live shows because it was so stressful to me. And, and when you're in that stressful situation, you're going to resort to whatever feels the most comfortable at the time. So make the most engaging show the most comfortable option by figuring it out beforehand and running through it in your rehearsals beforehand. I don't know, Jake, if you get the same sense, but I think there's this kind of illusion that the top artists out there, so like if you're a, a, a local artist or just getting started, people look at these top artists and think that having an engaging show has something to do with the big production, huge light setups, I don't know, big screens, pyrotechnics and stuff <laughs> like that. I mean, sure, that stuff helps, but I think the thing that sets people apart in their performances is actually how they perform. Like if you have somebody with these big flashy setups and stuff like that, and they get up and they give a boring performance, that's still not going to be an engaging show, even though maybe it has all of this production quality. 
Do you think that that happens with smaller artists or artists that are just starting out that they just don't think that they're at the point yet where they can worry about this stuff? I mean, you you can worry about it. You're saying, well, you you're, abso- yeah, I think we we're saying you absolutely should worry about it. <laughs> you're saying that that they should be worried about how they're performing regardless of the the lights and all that? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, example. I drove 3 hours to Boston with three people to see an artist that we all liked. I had liked him for a long time and he's even bigger now, which blows my mind cuz the music's great. The music his music is great. But I was so stoked. I actually, fun fact, there's like six or seven songs that I listened to while I was at my internship that just bring me right back to like be like driving home from the studio and stuff. And he's one of the artists that I found during that time. But we we go and it's at it's the place in Boston. It's the venue in Boston that's right next to the baseball stadium or whatever it is. I don't remember the name of it. Love the venue. It's sick. So the the main artist comes on, dude, and he has these amazing lights, all the fog you could want. He's got the stand-up drum kit, cool dude, whatever. He's got other musicians with him. That man did not be- break the pace of walking once. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh, was he boring? And he he didn't, how are you guys doing? Good. Oh, do, do. Like, <laughs> oh man. And so I take it he was from Texas. No, he, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was from somewhere, man. I don't know where he, I don't know where he's from. But like, it was so disappointing because, like, yeah, the, the lights were great, the music sounded amazing, but like, there was zero energy. And his songs, like, some of his songs are about heartbreak and stuff, but still, like, let me feel some emotion or something, dude. Let me hear it in your voice, like, yell once, maybe, you know. Yeah. I don't know. So, yes, it matters because now I don't like him anymore as a human. <laughs> and I don't even know him. <laughs> right. Yeah, no matter what's going on, the audience can feel that. Like that that's their connection with you as an artist. So, if you're having fun and you have a ton of energy, that's that's what's going to resonate with people and if you don't, that's also what's going to resonate with people. So, I mean, all that to say, I think I just really want to emphasize the stakes here to getting this right. When you give an engaging show, you are much, much more likely to convert audience members who don't know who you are into fans. That's one of the best ways to convert people to fans. Mm -hmm. If you're the opener for a show, that is an amazing opportunity you pretty much have a captive audience of people who should like your stuff because you got on that show because you're probably in some way similar to the headliner. So don't let anybody leave that show without logging you in their mind as somebody that they should go home and and check out again. And people talk with their friends. I think people are more likely to talk with their friends about music or about an artist that they saw at a live show than they even are about music that they heard on Spotify or something like mm-hmm. that. The the live show just connects with people on so many more emotional levels that it, it resonates with people more, I think. So you want to give them an experience that they can't forget. Uh, so to wrap this up, use this time before we kind of open everything back up uh, from quarantine and this pandemic, use this time to really nail down this stuff. Don't confuse 
practice with rehearsal and make sure that the next time you play a show, it's going to convert the audience who has never heard of you into a dedicated fan. If you like this type of content, make sure that you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. Leaving that there tells us what type of episode you like, and then we can make more of that episode. So if you want to hear more about shows, leave a, a review there and let us know that. Or if you have other topics that you want to hear about, you can email us at podcast at selfsignedartist.com and let us know all your ideas. All of them. Yeah, any <laughs> ideas that you have where we are open. And then while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook, both at selfsignedartist or Twitter at selfsignedpod because we ran out of characters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then finally... To celebrate double-digit episodes, woo, episode 10, woo. we are starting a Facebook community. So go on Facebook to Self-Signed Community and post what you're doing with your music. We want to hear about what's going on with you. Are you starting to get back to shows? Are you putting out music? Are you still live streaming? We want to hear about all that stuff. And, and we want to get some collaborations going on between listeners. So if you're listening to this podcast, go on there and connect with other people. So we're going to be starting that up just so we can all, you know, help each other out and elevate everybody in their music careers. You have anything to add, Jake, before we wrap it up? I'm stoked. Number 10, self-signed community. That sounds official. Oh yeah. <laughs> be one of the first 10 to get into the community. Yeah, do it. So that's it for this one. And we will see you in the next episode. Peace.